Well, good day, friends. Uh, welcome to the online ministry for St. Augustine's Anglican Church here in Inverell. My name's Matt, and it's great that you've chosen to tune in with us today. Uh, today's ministry has been prepared for the 3rd of April, 2022. Friends, our sentence of scripture for today comes from Psalm 43, which says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From deceitful and unjust men, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Well, friends, it is this God in whom we need to take refuge. And so let's pray as we kick off our time. Father, help us to be like you, to be like your son, Jesus Christ, who loved the world and died for our salvation. Inspire us by his love. Guide us by his example, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit. One God forever and ever. Amen. Let's praise God.
Well, friends, as we come to the ministry of God's word, our Bible readings for today uh, start off with Ezekiel chapter 34 for the Old Testament reading. Ezekiel 34, 11 to 16. Our psalm for the day is Psalm 138. And our New Testament reading, which I'll preach from in a moment, is Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. That's Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. Take a moment now, uh, pause the video, and read this for yourself. Read it with the people you're with, and then we'll come to think about it together. Friends, let's pray as we come to think about God's Word together now. Heavenly Father, as we look uh, here at Luke 19, please speak to us by your Spirit. Please show us, Jesus. Please show us who he is here for and help us to respond in the right way. Amen. Well, when I was in late high school, uh, when I just got my first license, uh, I was starting to get really excited, really excited at the possibility of having my own car, excited about the possibility of driving myself wherever I wanted. Uh, maybe you can remember a sim similar feeling that you had when you got your first license all those years ago. Now, for me, the only problem was back then I didn't have a car and I didn't have money to buy a car either. But fortunately, around the same time, mum and dad had decided that they were ready to buy a new secondhand car and get some more space. And now for me, again, that made me even more excited because my brother, he'd or he already had a car at that point. And so the question on my mind is, what's going to happen to this old car? Who is it for? Uh, I, was, I was beginning to get excited. Who's it for? I thought it was going to be me. And I wonder, again, if you've had a similar experience. Uh, you notice something great and you wonder, who's that for? Maybe you hoped it was you. Uh, that might have been the case with a big present under the Christmas tree. Wow, who is that for? Uh, maybe it was the case with something that your husband or wife brought home, left on the kitchen counter and you saw. Whoa, wonder who's that, who that's for. Now, in the case of our old car, unfortunately, mum and dad decided to sell it off to get rid of it. And so as a, as a young teenager, that devastated me. Uh, I saw something. I thought it was for me, but it wasn't. Now, we've been following uh, through Luke's gospel uh, so far this year. And we've seen that Jesus claims to have some great things on offer for us. He claims to be the glorious son of God, the one who offers us relationship with the heavenly father. He, he promises us victory over the power of sin and death and evil. And he offers the promises of the blessings of eternal life for those who follow him. But who's all that for? Who's all that for? Who did Jesus come for? Who can follow him? Or perhaps you think that there's some people that Jesus didn't come for. Maybe, maybe the bad people. Jesus, Jesus didn't come for those who are no good. Those who aren't like you. Or maybe you think that Jesus didn't come for people who are like you. Maybe you think you're not worth it to him. Well, I wonder what you think. But if you think that Jesus didn't come for some people, you're not alone. And we hear many people through Luke's gospel who think that way. And we encounter them, we encounter a group of them as we get to chapter 19. They have an idea about who should and shouldn't receive the kingdom of God blessings. And it leads them to criticize even Jesus himself. And their criticism 
is our first point today. Jesus is a friend of the lowly, the hated, the outcast, the wicked. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Now in our passage in Luke 19, Jesus, he's on his way down the map, down to Jerusalem. And Jericho is one of the towns that he passes through on the way. And everyone, they all wanted to see Jesus. And we meet one particular of these people now, as we get to verse 1. Read, read along with me. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Well, he's Zacchaeus. Uh, we're not told too much about him, but what we are told is, is really significant. He was a chief tax collector in the area. That means that he gathered money for the Romans. And tax collectors, they usually had the reputation of, while they were gathering that money, extorting their fellow Jews at the same time and using that to line their pockets. Uh, these guys were loaded off the backs of their fellow countrymen. They were parasites sucking off their brother's wealth. And so you can probably imagine how these guys were considered by most people to be the lowest of the low, the scum of the earth. But despite what people thought of Zacchaeus, we're told that he's wealthy. And his wealth is a, is a detail that we should really take note of. We shouldn't miss it. Because half a chapter earlier, Jesus says to another guy, another young, rich ruler, we see it in, in, verse, in chapter 18, verse 24, Jesus looks at him and says, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus then was talking to a man who, it turns out, valued, valued his treasure more than he valued God. And so now, as we get to Zacchaeus, hearing what Jesus has just said, we might be tempted to, to write Zacchaeus off. Surely this isn't the kind of person who Jesus came for. He's rich and he's a scumbag. This isn't the kind of person who receives God's kingdom blessings that Jesus promises. But this is a guy who wanted to meet Jesus. We're not told the reason. I mean, perhaps he realized that all his wealth wasn't satisfying him. Couldn't make him happy. Maybe he had a longing, an emptiness inside that couldn't be satisfied. But whatever the case, read verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. But climbing a tree like this, this is something that kids do, not men, and certainly not wealthy men. But he does it anyway. He really wants to see Jesus. However, in that moment of seeking Jesus, he was encountered with something that he didn't expect. He was just trying to catch a glimpse of this guy that people were talking about, catch a glimpse of Jesus. But what he found is that Jesus sought him out. Verse 5. When Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now, all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. At this point, Zacchaeus would have been blown away with what was going on. Couldn't, couldn't believe that Jesus actually sought him out. 
Now, Jesus did defy the expectations, not only, not only of Zacchaeus, though, but of the crowd as well. A statement, if you like, to the onlookers. A statement that said, Jesus is a friend of sinners. And that's what the people say in verse 7. They gossip about it. It's now the talk of the town. Jesus is associating with someone that they don't consider to be worthy. And yeah, Jesus isn't afraid to mix it with, with the rich and the high class and the, those with status. But in all his ministry, nor does he neglect the outcast, the sick, the lame, the despised, even those like Zacchaeus who are called the worst of sinners. People who many other consider not being worth worthy of the kingdom of God. In fact, it seems that these are the ones, as we read Luke's gospel, these are the ones who Jesus uh, interacts with the most and spends the most time with. He doesn't hold back his welcome from anyone. And now thinking about this for us, if we are a church that follows Jesus, then we shouldn't miss what Jesus does here. If we are a church that follows Jesus, we'll be, we'll be a welcoming church for everyone too. Regardless of their ethnicity, of their status, what they look like, where they live, their background. We need to welcome people like Jesus does. And when I say that we need to be a welcoming church, I don't just mean that we tolerate other people in our space. No, but actually caring for and extending love to people who come in our doors. I mean, I hope that there's never anyone who comes in the doors of St. Augustine's and walks out after the service without having anyone ever spoken to them. That'd be tragic. It's comfortable just to sit with, to stand with and catch up with the people that we know, our friends. But that's not what a church of Jesus should look like. We need to welcome people like this Jesus we follow welcomes people. Now, these people in the crowd, they know that Zacchaeus, he's unworthy to be visited by Jesus. And as we keep reading, it becomes clear that Zacchaeus himself recognizes his own unworthiness. He recognizes Jesus' high position and he's a lowly one. And so what should he do in that moment? What should anyone do as we come face to face with Jesus? Well, here's point two. Repent before the Lord. That's the answer. It seems as though uh, when we come to verse 8 now that, that Jesus and Zacchaeus and possibly others as well are at Zacchaeus' house. And so back in verse 7 at the tree, the crowds mutter, this guy's a sinner. He's unworthy of Jesus coming to spend the night with him. And so verse 8, fast forward, we're at Zacchaeus' house and the title of sinner is still ringing in our ears. And so we read verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Well, that was unexpected, wasn't it? What has Jesus said to invoke such a response out of this little rich man? Well, Luke doesn't tell us, does he? But whatever, uh, but we see how Zacchaeus actually addresses Jesus. In verse 3, we're told that he wanted to see Jesus. But now here in verse 8, we're told that, well, Zacchaeus addresses him as Lord. It's a title that acknowledges authority. A title that in Luke, uh, so often he uses to speak of God the Father. 
or what Jesus' closest disciples use to speak to him. And here's Zacchaeus using this same title, addressing Jesus as Lord. And acknowledging him as Lord, we see an amazing transformation in Zacchaeus' life, don't we? Earlier in Luke, uh, Jesus says that it doesn't matter how much of a sinner you have been or how much of a sinner you are. The right response before God is to repent. And now repent, it's a little word, it just means to turn around. And in the context of the gospel here, it means to stop going your way and start living God's way. And that's what Zacchaeus is doing. That's what we see here. He's responding to the lordship of Jesus. And in chapter 16 in Luke, Jesus also said, 16 verse 13, No one can serve two masters. You can't do it. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, interestingly, the word that Jesus uses for master there in chapter 16 is the same word in the original that Zacchaeus uses to identify Jesus here in our passage. It's the word Lord. You cannot have two lords. And while he's been serving money all his life, Zacchaeus realizes that he can't have two masters, two lords. And at this moment, he makes it clear that money is no longer his lord. Jesus needs to occupy that sole position. Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Well, Zacchaeus here clearly has a changed heart. And his new love for God shows itself in a love and generosity to others. He's going to give half of all he has to the poor. But more than that, he acknowledges that he's sinned. He's wronged other people. He's broken God's law given to the, given to the Israelites about how to treat others in, uh, in love. Instead, he knows he's treated them well. He's cheated them, in fact. He acknowledges his wrongs. When we encounter Jesus, we too need to, need to respond in this same way. We need to admit that we are in the wrong when it comes to God. And because Jesus is Lord, we need to then turn and live for him. And now a couple of things for us here as we think about this. Uh, firstly, we need to be real about our sin. If we know Jesus, we won't slip into the, into the delusion that we don't sin anymore. We won't fool ourselves into thinking that we don't need to change. To be real, to be real with our sin uh, in our lives means that we continue putting it to death and seeking to put on Christ. And secondly, like we see in Zacchaeus, a heart for Jesus is also a heart that will be generous to others. And generosity and giving, it's always been, they've always been two great pillars of discipleship. A heart regenerated by Jesus will be a generous heart. So how are you going with that? You can't serve both God and money. But when Jesus is Lord, our thinking and our use of money, it'll, be, it'll become radically different. And it's amazing to see how in Zacchaeus here, his heart has been so gripped by love of Jesus. 
It's a beautiful picture of gospel transformation, isn't it? Isn't it? So is that the key then? Is doing things like this what makes you right with God? We know that Jesus is just about to say that this man, Zacchaeus, has today received salvation. So is Zacchaeus saved because he's now a good and generous man? Is that how it works? Is that what's going on? No, it's not. Salvation, the kingdom of God blessings, don't come to us on account of our actions, on account of what we do. Here's point three. Salvation comes because we have a great God who seeks and saves the lost. And that salvation comes to us through faith. Look at me look with me at verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. Now for us, from the very first chapter of Luke's gospel, he's told us that Jesus is coming into the world so that people would know salvation, so that they would know salvation that only comes as sins are forgiven. And here we have Jesus saying that today, salvation has come to this man's house. Zacchaeus has salvation. And the reason he says this is because this man too is a son of Abraham. Now, you might be wondering why on earth he's bringing Abraham into it at this point. Now, all the way back at the start of the Bible, uh, when we get to Genesis, uh, we see that God made promises to this guy, Abraham. Right, you can read about it in Genesis chapter 12. He made promises to Abraham and his descendants. And through the progressive revelation of God's word and God's actions through history, we find the real fulfillment of these blessings is more than earthly for Abraham's descendants. There's a true, heavenly, eternal dimension to it also. The blessings of being uh, God's people in God's place under God's loving rule. This, this seed of salvation, hope given for Abraham and his descendants. Now, Zacchaeus, he was a Jew. Uh, just like the crowds, just like Jesus, he was a literal descendant of Abraham. And so why does Jesus say that salvation has come to him today? Well, the Apostle Paul, in Romans 9, he speaks of two types of sons of Abraham. He speaks of children of the flesh, who are physical descendants, and also children of the promise, who are true spiritual sons of Abraham. And now listen to what Paul also says in Galatians chapter 3, and verse 6 and 7. He says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham. Paul is saying that to be a true son, a true daughter of Abraham, isn't, hasn't got to do with physical birth. It's all about faith in what God is doing. So do you see what Jesus is saying then? He designates Zacchaeus not just as a physical son of Abraham, but now, and more importantly, through faith, he's now become 
a spiritual son of Abraham. Zacchaeus isn't receiving salvation because he's now a good and generous man. He's receiving salvation because he's come to put his faith in God's Messiah, in Jesus. And and, uh, his works and his generosity are just evidence of this new transformation of his heart. And the reason that Zacchaeus can have salvation at all, come to verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus, the Son of God, he came for the lost. Now we're not talking about car keys, right? We're talking about people. Back at the start, I asked the question, who is Jesus for? When we see something great, we think it's a gift, we wonder, who's it for? Is it for me? So who's Jesus for? Well, here he tells us he's come for the lost. And this is the character of our God that we see through the pages of the Bible. We have a God who loves us, a God who wants relationship with us, a God who seeks us, a God who sent his son for us because we are lost. And there are two categories of people and those categories aren't uh, those who are lost and those who aren't lost. No, that's not the categories. The categories are those who are lost and know it. And then those who are lost, but don't know it. See the crowds, they call Zacchaeus a sinner and they were right. He is. And the problem is that sinful people are incompatible with the holy God. The scriptures make this point really clear to us time and time again. Now, perhaps the crowd understood that. Maybe that's why they thought it was so inappropriate that Jesus would, would go and spend a night with this sinner. But do you know what they missed? Do you know what else God makes really clear to us on the pages of scripture? We are all sinners. Without Jesus, we are all lost when it comes to God. And the crowd pointed at Zacchaeus and they said, he's a sinner. But if they really understood their own true state, their hands would have turned back around and said, here is a sinner. In Romans 3, Paul says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are a people made to share in the, glory of God, in the glory of God, but our sin stops us from being able to do that. It, it actually separates us from him. It means that when it comes to our creator, our maker, we are lost. And so I want to ask you, do you know that you are lost? Do you know that? Now, perhaps you do. Perhaps like Zacchaeus, you've got this growing in a sense of dissatisfaction with your life. Perhaps like him, you've come to realize that money can't satisfy all those desires that you have. Or maybe you just feel an emptiness in your life. Maybe you have some longing for something real, something eternal. Or maybe you feel like you are lost, but that God would never accept you. That's not, you're not who Jesus came for. Friends, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came for people like you. He came so that you can be saved. So that 
you can have eternal life and a relationship with him. So like Zacchaeus, give your life to Jesus. Or at the very least, come and have a chat to us about that. Come back again here next week or, or at Easter as we keep exploring this together. But as I say this, maybe, maybe you don't resonate with that at all. And maybe you feel like you're a pretty good person. Maybe you feel like you've got your life together. There's nothing wrong with it. If that's you, then you need to consider that you might be lost. Now, the day after Jesus stayed at Zacchaeus' house, he left. He went on his way. He kept going down, down to Jerusalem. For a few days later, at that first Easter, knowing he was going to be nailed to a Roman cross. He didn't do it because it was fun. He did it because he was convinced that you are lost. He was convinced that he, the Son of God, needed to die so that your sin could be taken away. So that your sin and your lostness could be dealt with. Like Zacchaeus, you need to see that you are lost before God and that Jesus came to seek and save you. Now, one final thing for us as we read this passage. Uh, maybe you're someone who, who has understood this and you've, you've seen that you're lost. You've come to Jesus. You put your faith in him. If that's you, then I want you to notice how this last verse summarizes a key theme in Luke's gospel. Uh, Jesus came on a mission to seek and save who? The lost. And this isn't a mission that's finished. It is a mission, though, that he's now graciously calling us, his church, to be a part of. If you've felt the weight of your sin, if you've come to Jesus as someone who's lost and experienced forgiveness of your sins, who's received the promise of salvation, the hope of heaven, Surely you know how wonderful a gift he is. Surely you want other people to know and experience him also. Without Jesus, lost people are going to hell. If we had this in mind when we hung out with the people we know and love, then we would see the gospel urgency, wouldn't we? We wouldn't say, yeah, nah, to talking to them about Jesus. We wouldn't say, yeah, nah, to inviting the church. What we would do is we would look for ways that we can introduce our non-Christian friends to our Christian friends. We would look for opportunities to speak to them about Jesus. We would take the opportunity to, to read the Bible with a friend, to explore who Jesus is, if we had the opportunity to ask them. What an amazing thing that we could do. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So who are the lost that you know? Who are the people that you need to be on mission for? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. This mission of Jesus, it's huge and wonderful news for lost people like us. And it's a mission that he calls us, his church, to be a part of. Now friends, as we finish, let's pray that we would take in what God is saying to us today. That we would see that Jesus came for the lost, that we would see that this is his mission and for us to take part in as well. Friends, let's pray. Oh Lord God, I thank you that we can look at your word here today. We can see the way that you, Lord, are a friend to the sinner. 
Lord, that is great news for us because we, we know that we are all sinners. We know that we are unworthy to have you come and stay at our house. Yet in your love, your son Jesus laid down his life for us. Father, for those of us who haven't understood that, for those of us who don't see our lostness, help us to see that clearly and to see how Jesus is the answer. Lord, for those of us who who have seen that, who have grasped that, who have accepted Jesus in, help us to see our part in your mission of seeking and saving lost people all over the world, all through our town, all through our neighbourhood, all through our workplace. Help us to not just see that, but to see the gospel urgency there, to see that unsaved lost people are going to hell and to see the call to be speaking about Jesus, to be sharing the good news that's only found in him. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we're heading out to a time of praise. Should never be discussed.
Well, friends, we come now to a time when I invite you to pause the video and pray. Uh, pray with those around you. Prayer, prayer is a wonderful gift that we've been given. Uh, we know that we have a great and loving Heavenly Father who hears us when we call out to Him. So take a moment. Uh, there's plenty of things that, be, that you could be praying for. Praying for our church. Be praying for yourself. Praying for the community. Praying for the lost that you know. Uh, I really want to encourage you to stop and do that. Uh, friends, so many great things we can pray for. Uh, so take a moment and do that now. And uh, at the end of this video as well, there'll also be a slide with some details about how you can uh, support the work of our church here. Uh, friends, giving, we see generosity uh, in Zacchaeus. We see an amazing way that his heart is transformed uh, and that giving is a great part of that. And so we know that uh, to be a Christian is to be someone who has been given much. And so friends, uh, as part of our worship, uh, we give back to God to see his gospel go out. And so I invite you to uh, take note of those details and partner with us in that way. Uh, take a moment now to pray. No.
or friends, as we come to finish our time together, let me encourage you with the words uh, from Ezekiel 34. These were some words from our Old Testament reading today. Uh, it speaks of the great character of our God, that we have a God who seeks and saves the lost. Hear these words, Ezekiel 34. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. Friends, what a great and loving Heavenly Father we have, a God who seeks and saves the lost. Friends, I pray that you might know this and you might take action on this for your own life. Uh, go in peace now. Uh, friends, it's been great that you've joined us. We'll see you next week.